Welcome to the High Reliability Podcast, presented by Goslin Martin Associates. I'm your host, Peter Martin, president of Goslin Martin Associates. The High Reliability Podcast is focused solely on the healthcare facility management professional, and it is sponsored by the Career Hub. You can link to the Career Hub off the Goslin Martin Associates main webpage, goslin-associates.com. If you haven't checked out the Career Hub yet, please do so. Today, I am happy to welcome Jonathan Hunley to the show. John is the System Director of Facilities Infrastructure for Bon Secours Mercy Health. John is based in Cincinnati, and he is responsible for the oversight and management of Bon Secours' non-threshold infrastructure program. It's a bit of a mouthful. Prior to joining Bon Secours, John was Director of Plan Engineering for four years at St. Elizabeth Healthcare in Florence, Kentucky. John did not follow the traditional path into healthcare facilities management. He took a project management path prior to beginning in his role at St. Elizabeth. So similar to many of the guests that we've had on, it's kind of a non-traditional career path from a healthcare facilities perspective. He has his BS in construction management, and he is board member of the Tri-State Society of Healthcare Engineering. John served as president of the board for 2020. John was also awarded the ASHI Region 5 Emerging Leader Award earlier this year. So, John, congratulations. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. I know it's a busy time, so uh, thank you for carving out some time to speak. Let's just, um, you know, before we talk a little bit into your healthcare career path, John, what is um, with Bon Secours' non-threshold infrastructure program? Tell us a little bit about, about what that means. So here at Bon Secours Mercy Health, we have a uh, system level uh, pool of funding for capital that is dedicated to infrastructure. And um, I want to make sure I make the mis- distinction that it's, you know, when sometimes when people hear infrastructure, they think IT and it's not, it's not IT. It is facility related projects. It's those MEP projects that take place with either air handler replacements, power plant, chiller plants, things like that, or it's your building envelope. So the facade, the roofs that need to be addressed, it's also dealing with parking structures, parking lots, expansion of part of parking when needed. Um, and we do this across all 35 facilities and, and as well as our ambulatory portfolio is what it's dedicated to. And we work off of a five-year master plan that has strategy developed into it. And we um, allocate approximately uh, 70 to 100 million in capital on an annual basis to this pool of money. Okay. Excellent. And how is... um... You know, you began in 2019, I think, in this role. Was this a new role that was created, or what was the what's the evolution of this role? Yeah, so the the role itself is it was new. I don't have a predecessor. the um, The two health systems, Bon Secours Health System and Mercy Health, uh, merged in 2018, and as a consequence of that merger, there were there was a reimagining of a lot of shared service departments, mine included in that. So uh, my, my position is housed inside of our real estate development and construction department. And 
as a sub-department of that, I, I'm part of the design and construction team. So none of us who are in our roles where I work were there at the time of the merger. We're, we're all a consequence of that merger. And um, as a result, when I came in, this this funding mechanism existed when I came in. However, there had never been anybody there to provide oversight of it or to really develop it in a, in a meaningful way. Um, it was just there for the facility folks to basically put in requests and, you know, they would make uh, some sort of commitment to it, but nothing to the extent of what they do now. And mostly because they did no, there was no meaningful data that says, what do we need to be focusing on? What do we need to be doing? There, uh, there were no policies that were in place. There were, there was, there were no processes, procedures, anything. So really I, I spent my first 12 months doing just that. I, I developed the policies and the, the processes of how to, how this program works and operates and feels. And then we also, uh, we meaning myself and the facility directors throughout our system work together to develop five-year planning to put five-year plans in place at each of the facilities on what needs to be addressed. And we did that through um, research on the, each of the facilities, uh, provided them tools to essentially grade their facilities and grade the equipment that was inside their facilities. This, these tools served as backup to backup data to the request uh, because, you know, I think oftentimes we, we get into a situation where we get tunnel vision and say, well, I know about that piece of equipment, but then uh, we start filling out these, these assessments and we go, Oh, I didn't really think about that. Mm -hmm. I didn't didn't think about that, that aging electrical infrastructure, which I'm sure we'll touch on more later, but I think that that's a side that often gets forgotten it's easy to remember the air handlers. It's easy to remember the chillers, the boilers. Those things are kind of right in our face all the time. It's the stuff that's hidden. And this really kind of pulled out the information on the stuff that's hidden so that we it didn't get forgotten and we could properly address it. And that's really what I spent the, the first 12 months of my, my tenure here doing is developing that and putting things in place. So it's interesting um... – about that, you know, so in our role here at Goslin Martin Associates in recruiting and, and kind of that soft skill uh, leadership education, you know, you mentioned your first 12 months there, you just even putting into place, creating something out of nothing and policies, process and procedure that you have needed to create to kind of govern that process. How have, and then working with the individual facility directors, how have you been received as you've created the policy process and procedure to drive this, how has that been received out in the field? So, you know, I think uh, just the feedback that I get, by and large, it is positively received. Naturally, you have some pushback. Anytime you present change to folks, there are always going to be those who are less, you know, they're a little apprehensive, I guess is the proper word. That they're not, yeah. 
they're not they're not good with change especially i feel like in our world there there are you know there are people who just aren't good with change um and i I try to i try to kind of preach a message that change while can be scary sometimes is a good thing it promotes growth it promotes uh opportunities that weren't there before and i think ultimately what has happened is even for those who were apprehensive at first, what they've found and what they've seen is, hey, we're we're getting funding we never got before. I'm getting dollars to actually do projects that I, I never thought I would get to do. And that's because I spent the time kind of in, in some, some t- instances laboringly pulling the information out of them, trying to get them to go along and help them understand why we needed to do this. And in doing so, we got meaningful data that that I could point to and say, well, what about this? What about this piece of equipment? What about that piece of equipment? Have you thought about this? And what I've also been able to do is open a lot of people's eyes to, we shouldn't just always think about one-for-one replacement. When we do a project, it is our opportunity to improve. So if I'm going to replace a piece of equipment, what else is that a piece of equipment touch? Is it another air handler system? If it's an air handler replacement, is it another air handler system? Uh, is it, if it's a chiller, well, what's the rest of the chill chill water system look like? You know, how are the pumps? How are the other chillers? How are the towers? Should we think about redoing the entire system or part of the system? And opportunities to improve overall and also take advantage of any kind of economies of scale because if I can do multiples at the same time I pay a little bit more up front in that given year yes but I can also save money over the long run because I did two projects together and had the contractors there already so I'm not I'm paying less in GCs I'm paying less in mobilization and demobilization I'm paying less in a lot of that that uh, general conditions section of the contract because I'm essentially getting more bang for my buck. Is and that's, a, that, that's one of the big things I've been trying to get people to understand and go along with as well. So, so I think you said you've got roughly 35 facilities. So are you, um, is your office accountable at each of those facilities when you have a, um, a project, whether it be air handler, boiler, electrical infrastructure, whatever it happens to be, are you responsible for project budget and also contracting with the local subcontractors, or is that is that handled at the local level and you have the big picture budget accountability? How do you how do you set that up? So, yes and yes. So I I, I have the big budget. The big picture budget accountability, I am responsible for the bottom line management of that program. I, I have X amount of dollars. That's all I can spend in a year. Mm-hmm. I do make a concerted effort and in many cases allow the facility directors a lot of latitude to manage their projects the way they see fit. I don't want for, – for two reasons. One, I, I want them to know that I trust them to, to run their projects, but two – lack of time. I, I simply don't have the time to manage all the projects for 35 facilities. I'm one person. Yeah. Um, while there are growth plans for us organizationally to bring in, introduce some more project management resources for these projects, we're not there yet. And so 
I have to be able to rely on the facility directors to do their part, help manage these, these projects. Now, having said that, there are some projects that I have out of necessity had to get more intimately involved in and be, perform more of a, a project management role on them just to ensure that not only do they get done, but they get done correctly from a, uh, a risk management standpoint for us organizationally. Uh, you know, it, it never really was too much of a concern on budget. The budget was really always okay, but, you know, we put a lot of processes and procedures in place as well on contracting, proper contracting that didn't exist prior and verifying insurance and things like that, that were, that never existed before, you know, I would say system wide, just on construction projects in general, let alone infrastructure. So making sure that those things are adhered to properly as well, that's really probably where I've stepped in more than anywhere else. I've also brought some of my colleagues in my department on into some of these projects to help manage them as well, where I've needed the help. Um, and they're, they're taking on a few of these projects as far as just managing them. But we always, even when we take them over from a management standpoint, we still make sure that the facility folks who are there locally stay involved in kind of the day-to-day operations of the project because it's critical that they are involved. And I've made sure that they're aware of that, that, Hey, even when I'm stepping in here, I'm here to help. I'm not here to take over. Uh, I, I do a very good job at trying to make sure they understand that, that I'm not taking over anything from them. I still want their involvement. I still want their input. They're a decision maker at the table with this project. And I'm just here to support, to make sure that things get done properly from a, a system level. So, Has that messaging that you deliver um, to the local level, when you present that, that you want their input, how is that received? Uh, they're happy. I mean, I think ultimately most of them are kind of a little bit relieved when we take some mm-hmm. of these projects over from them because, you yeah. know, especially this year with everything that they've had on their plate with COVID and having to manage that animal, the la- sometimes the last thing they've really had on their mind is managing a project. Yeah. And because they're just, they're spent, you know, yep. while yep. most of our, luckily, most of our facilities that, that I, that, that we oversee haven't been hit nearly as hard as like what happened in New York at the beginning of this thing. They've still felt it. They've still had to make changes and, and do and deal with uh, losses on their teams, either from quarantines or sickness and things like that. So they uh, retirements that are just happening whether they're they were planned before all this or accelerated because of what's happened this year yeah um so yeah i mean they're they're very busy doing their what i call their day job you know operating the facility making sure that all of the operational items from a maintenance standpoint and a facility standpoint are still running smoothly so that everything else in the hospital goes the way it's supposed to. So I feel like that's also played into it that when I come in and say, Hey, I'm just going to kind of take this over from a standpoint of helping you run this project. Still going to have you still want you involved. They're happy because they, they hear the part that they want to hear, which is, Hey, I'm still going to have a decision. 
I'm still going to have a a uh, seat at the table to make decisions, but I don't have to do all the quote unquote grunt work of running the project. Right. Yeah. The best of both worlds. One last type of yeah. um, rela- relationship question, because I, I always find them a little bit fascinating and you're, you're building something from the ground up when you started and, and you're still involved, obviously, but how did, uh, how do you integrate or where in the process do you fit into that whole planning design construction realm? When do they reach out to you? And is that process well-defined and lines of accountability, et cetera? So kind of two parts to that question. So when it comes to the infrastructure projects, uh, I'm kind of there from the beginning, right? The, the moment that their conceived idea comes into play about what they need to do, they reach out to me. And we start talking through it and decide, is this something that is a kind of a break-fix item and needs to be addressed immediately because we have contingency, a contingency pool of funds each year that we manage that, to address those because that happens in the year, right? A piece of equipment breaks and I got to refi- I got to replace it, got to fix it. But then we also, you know, if, if it's not that, then we go, okay, then let's put it into your five-year plan and where does it need to fall into your five-year plan? So we'll start, we'll have those conversations. When it comes to the, what I'll call just the, the other standard construction projects, whether, it, whether it's a, a strategic new hospital, replacement hospital, or it's an, a, a renovation or expansion of an existing facility, I am involved, I get brought into the, to the picture at schematic design. And what I do for my colleagues and internally is, is I serve as a uh, sort of a, a reviewer of sorts for the MEP because mm-hmm. I wrote our, I have, and part of the things that I've done in the, my first 12 months was I wrote our standards for MEP design, uh, kind of high level uh, development of what our basis of design was going to be on equipment who was the approved bidder list and then a, and then high level conceptual uh, standards of what we will do for different systems. And then also uh, as part of that as well, I helped develop our uh, commissioning program for commissioning projects. Hmm. And so I make sure that we're following proper uh, protocols, procedures there with commissioning as well. And things are getting captured the way they needed to. So did you, uh, I, did I do, and, and then I'll stay involved in those projects through design. Once design is complete, I kind of exit the picture, and okay. because my part's done essentially, is I, I I've made sure that we followed design, and I bring a set of eyes to that design that the the PM or the director, whoever may be running that project, doesn't necessarily bring, and that that's the the facility director's eyes. I, I'll see something to go, you don't want to do it that way because it's going to be a, a pain to maintain it later on down the road. And so I try to, I try to provide that outlook for them as well as, Hey, what's easy to, what's easy from an operational standpoint to operate this, this area, this, this piece of equipment, what have you, and what's it going to be like to have to maintain it and try to provide that outlook for them where they, they haven't probably had that in the past. How did you, uh, you've done a lot 
in a relatively short period of time, and you talked about going out and, and meeting and managing, but how did you ramp up? You know, how did you get to a point where you were able to start to implement these programs? Was there a, was it the old fashioned way or was there, were there any, uh, any speed lanes you were able to take to ramp yourself up and get rolling on this? It's a big undertaking. I mean, you know, you do it all the time. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's funny when I started here last year, uh, I started at the end of capital planning season. You know, the, typically in healthcare, capital planning takes place in the, the summer months, right? And and you you kind of get your plans together and things get presented and approved in the fall. I had exactly three and a half weeks from the date of my first, like my first day on the job until the first capital meeting when I was going to have to present the project list of what we were going to do for this year, 2020. Three and a half weeks. So I had three and a half weeks. So I spent my first three and a half weeks uh, introducing myself virtually to all of our facility directors by phone and because Zoom really wasn't a thing yet last fall, right? So we <laughs> yeah. just, we did it through, we did it through phone calls, the old fashioned way, just phone calls and uh, introduced myself, talked through their needs at each of the facilities. And, and this is without laying a single high on any, any of the facilities, right? I, ha- I didn't have time that first three and a half weeks to go anywhere. I sat at my desk and just put numbers together um, and put something together, sent it, put it before the our, our executive leadership uh, for the capital committee meeting in October of last year got a, a preliminary kind of approval, but with uh, hey, give us the next month so that we can once over this, you do the same, we'll reconvene back in November's to give a final approval. So in that next month, I took the opportunity, I got to some of our facilities, got to lay eyes on some things. In doing so, I changed a few of the projects around, which was good because I, I got to see it with my own eyes and start asking questions and make some changes. So did that, made some changes, try, kept the number pretty much the same, but just moved things around in, inside of that number, you know, the, the total number, that bottom line number. And so got the final approval in November. After that was over uh, and I was able to take like a second to breathe, that's when I started writing policies and, started, and got, the, got the first one out, which was... Uh, just the the non-threshold infrastructure policy, which essentially told a put language out there that says what is an infrastructure project, how do we manage them, what is the expectation, this is what you will do, what you won't do, and put that out there for all the facility folks, uh, not only just their directors but the leadership that they reported to at each of the hospitals, so that there was finally a document out there that said all those things because nothing existed before. So there's a lot of ambiguity around what is infrastructure and people trying to slide certain t- types of projects in there that really aren't infrastructure projects, meaning like aesthetic projects and, uh, or, or vehicle replacements for like plow trucks and snow removals and things like that. that that's not an infrastructure project. Right. So you, you get that kind of thing too. Because we have a lot of hospitals up in the northern part of Ohio, so where you get a lot of that that eerie snow. Mm-hmm. So, 
so putting that in place, and then uh, during this same time, we were in the middle of acquiring three new hospitals in Virginia. So I was brought in as part of that transition team to help uh, take a look at those hospitals, kind of get an idea of what are we buying. And in the meantime, also bringing them up to speed on all of this that we were very much in the middle of uh, doing at the time. So that gets us to about January. And then we started, uh, we started as a department making some concerted efforts of getting other uh, processes, procedures in place that hadn't existed. Because by that point, as a department, we had really kind of filled up, so to speak. I, th- I think we've, we've had three hires since then, but uh, two were PMs out in Virginia. And another one was just, uh, uh, it was, she's another project coordinator who helps us with our uh, accounts payable tracking and things like that. So we had kind of the meat and potatoes of the department together by that point. So we all kind of took parts and pieces. And one, one of the big ones that I took on next was developing our, our, uh, ICRA, PICRA, ILSM policies, trying to, uh, cause again, being this big system, we had a lot of places that had their own policy. There was no systemic approach to how that was going to be performed. We really? needed it from a, from a compliance standpoint, huh. we needed to have a yeah. systemic approach of how we do that. Uh, not only for projects, but for just daily operations as well. So, so that, that, that I didn't actually, even exist. I took it wow. So that didn't exist. Not out of yeah. It was all local. Hmm. Not, it was all local. And so we put, I, I developed something, uh, using my, uh, experiences from St. Elizabeth on what we use there and which was very successful, um, and we took that and then also added in some other parts and pieces that I had gathered from colleagues around the country, just from kind of putting feelers out there, asking some questions, uh, mostly using that ashy uh, community board, just asking some questions there. That, that tool is very helpful when you have for anybody who's ever trying to uh, develop policies, procedures, things like that, and you have questions use that community board. That thing is fantastic for, for stuff like that. That's my shameless plug for Ashy. So, uh, (laughs) well done. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, all all jokes aside that, that really is a great resource to use for things like that because everybody's always willing to answer and have questions and, and give some, some thoughts and opinions on it. So it's a great place to do that. Um, and, and I've always been of the opinion, don't reinvent the wheel. If somebody's got a pretty good one, you know, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to copy and reuse, rehash something that somebody else developed. There's, there's no shame in that. That just saves you time. If, you know, if it works, it works. doesn't have to be your idea as long as it works. So, um, so doing that, develop this policy, put it in place. Our, uh, Funny enough, our, our patient safety and accreditation team from the, corporately, our, our system, the system level, they, they reviewed it. She loved it so much that she said, can I take this and just make this our policy system-wide no matter what? 
whether it's operations or it's construction, because that's when I learned we didn't have anything systemically operationally either. And, and I was like, sure, I, you know, I'm flattered you'd yeah. want to. So, right. so that is now the policy from corporate uh, system wide, whether it's a construction project or it's just day to day operations. That is the policy to follow uh, for Ikra Picra ILSM. That's great. Um, and they they use those forms now for all of that. After Let's, that, uh, no, I was gonna, go ahead. I was going to ask you. You know, we we've talked about process and and how you know what you've needed to create. Just in in general, if you were to offer advice, how does a a, a hospital get out of a reactive state to a proactive state relative to their infrastructure? So. First and foremost, you, you got to get out and actually research what's needed to be done. You need to put, you have to develop long-term strategies, long-term planning to understand, because before I can get to a reactive state, I need to know what actually needs to get done mm-hmm. just to get me to to status quo, right? Then I, then I know anything above and beyond that gets me to a, a proactive state. So you got to develop those plans, that long-term planning, whether you want to do, I, I like to do five-year planning because I think some people promote 10 years, but at 10 years, there's so much that can change even in the first five years, let alone, yeah. let alone yeah. six to six through 10. So let's stick with five years and we'll keep adding that fifth year at the end every year. Um, first and foremost, you got to do that. You have to understand what do I need to do? Secondly, you need a leadership that is committed to investing in those those things that are needed to get there, because in order to do it, the the problem with these types of projects is that you know they're they're non revenue generating they they don't but they're the cost of doing business it's the cost of operations, it, and what we need to do as facility directors is develop those relationships with that leadership so that you have tr- a, a certain level of trust built up between the two of you so that, that when they hear you discuss the needs, they understand uh, that you're not overselling something. You're not, you're not kidding around. Like this is something we really got to do. And when the time comes, the, the, the better those relationships are, are developed, the easier it will be for you to sell the need sell the reasons why also make sure that you are backed up with data and analytics on those projects as it relates to what is the cost of doing nothing what is the what what are the the indirect impacts of doing this project so if if i do this said project how does it benefit the hospital uh is it getting you into compliance well what is that worth to me well it's worth uh, potentially better reimbursements because I don't have uh, patient safety issues going on around the hospital. It's it has impacts to less downtime in the hospital because uh, I don't have a, the risk of electrical failures that knock an OR out, and now all of a sudden I don't have an OR operational that that creates losses. Understand how to sell the need in a non-engineering way, so to speak, put your marketing cap on for a second and help them understand 
how you can positively impact the hospital by doing this. Because at the end of the day, they know you don't drive revenue. Your department, your, your non-revenue generating department, all you do is cost money. Yep. So help them understand the need. Help them understand why they need you, why they need the projects, why they need to do this, and what the indirect impacts are by doing the projects. Because that's ultimately how you'll get people to buy in. You mentioned data, you mentioned analytics, you mentioned relationships. Those are all ways to help them to understand. Are there other tools or are there other useful items that you have found to make or to get the C-suite or whoever has those purse strings to get them to understand the gravity? Are there other other tools that you use that you found effective? So, I mean, I, I, I developed... I, I mean, I developed ways to track data and, and track the and track the needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I do is I, I I'm a I develop relationships with people. I get to know them, let them get to know me, uh, help them understand where I come from when I when I talk passionately about something. Um, and I do exactly what I just explained: help them understand what the cost of doing nothing is. You know, if if, if provide them the information that says this is what it's going to cost. This is what it's going to cost you if you don't do it. You know, this is the impact of it. Help them understand where the risks are and let them make the, let them make, help them make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. If you know, at the end of the day, if you gave them all the information they need, don't be afraid. Don't hide things. Don't hide. Give them the, that's the worst thing you can do is try to hide information about it because then, well, the, you end up creating these doubts in the, in their mind. So, and I also tell people while you're doing all this, keep your information as simple as possible. Don't over, don't over, don't provide over detail because what I found many of the people we're talking about right now that you need to sell these projects to you know, at the at the C-suite senior level, half of them don't even read emails because they don't have time to, yeah. or they don't. You know, so these people do best when you provide them a one-page document that summarizes mm-hmm. in a kind of a bullet point fashion. So you don't want to over communicate with details. You want to communicate, you want to, so learning how to communicate effectively in kind of a one page document that summarizes at a high level, what the need is and why the, and then why the needs there and the, and in doing so strategically placing data and analytics inside that summary, Hmm. understanding the data, because it's not just about grabbing data and analytics. You got to grab the right data, the right analytics that sells what you're talking about. That kind of will be that trigger that says, "Oh, you know that that's that uh, that that trigger number that says this is why you got to do it." You um, you know, I just thought of this while I was listening to you talk because you're dealing. You know, if you've got what thirty five facilities, that means you have at least 35 different customers that you're dealing with. Personally, and I'm just asking you how how you work, do you almost need to create like a scouting report for individuals at each of these hospitals so that you know 
what's effective, what's in effect, just, just a way so that you're not always relearning because you're dealing with so many different people. How, how do you track that info? Do you, do you keep, keep a diary? Do you keep cheat sheets or something? <laughs> you're going to laugh. It's in my head. <laughs> Is it in your head? That's good. All right, good. <laughs> I, I, I probably should take more notes than I do, but I'm, I'm not the best note taker, to be perfectly honest with you. See, I'm a note taker. I, um, I think that's why I, I, if I didn't uh, take notes, I'd be lost. But you got it in your head, so you don't need yeah, to take notes. I, I keep it up there. It's probably why. My, it's probably why uh, I forget to do the things my wife asked me to do during the day. So <laughs> I've, lost, so I've lost all the, the space in my. I've, lo- I've lost the space in my brain for for other things. Um, so, no, I, I didn't mean, get but, the, uh, but I, also, I didn't get the milk. <laughs> I didn't get the milk because yeah. Bob needs a chiller at St. Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, um, but no, I mean, I. Uh, I think coming back to that relationship building, you understand your relationships with each individual person if you if you're genuine about the development of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If it's not just surface level, it's not just if it's not fake. If you're if you're genuine about trying to get to know people and, and learning about them, you'll remember. You'll, you'll remember each person and the, the and their different quirks and and personality traits. Excellent. So just um, for a reminder, I'm speaking with Jonathan Hunley, who's the uh, System Director of Facilities Infrastructure for Bon Secours Mercy Health. So it's been a, a very, uh, very interesting conversation thus far. We talked about right at the very beginning, John, where um, you took kind of a non-traditional career path into healthcare. You know, prior to your current, uh, your current role, four years for Director of Plan Engineering at St. Elizabeth Healthcare. Tell us about your path, the path that you followed into healthcare, and, and did you expect to end up in healthcare when you started out in your career? Oh, not in a million years. So, um, you know, it's funny. I actually, uh, I started off in college. Um, I was playing, uh, I, I played collegiate football for Mount Union in Northeast Ohio. Uh, go Purple Raiders. Uh, and Two plugs. I was an economics, I, I was an economics major, wow. uh, wasn't even a construction man in construction at all. Right. I, I thought I, when I first got to school, I thought I was going to leave there, go to law school and then do something. I, I never wanted to be like a practicing lawyer, but I was gonna, I, I kind of always fancied an idea in like the political arena, uh, mm-hmm. when I was growing up. But and and then I actually changed from there to being a history major because I really loved history. I've always been a bit of a history buff. So, but then I realized there's no money in being a history major. So, um, you, you, you're either a history, working as a teacher uh, or you're or you're yeah. working at a museum. So, no, I, I hear you. I love history uh, too, and I wanted to. I wanted to teach as well way back when. But like you, it's just you know you might love it. So I read the books and stay involved. But yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll read it and, and and kind of satisfy the hobby side of it. So but, exactly. Uh, but no, so. I grew up in I, I grew up in construction. My dad's a civil engineer, and you know I, I joke and say, you know I spent a lot of car rides growing up reading uh, blueprints, reading, reading reading drawings, and learning how to read drawings at a young age and understand how that they work. And I mean, it's it's really not a joke. I, I really did understand how to read drawings when I was probably like twelve years old. Wow! Uh, just because they, they were always back there, and I kind of just. <laughs> 
You know, you get bored in a car. We didn't have iPads yeah. and, and all these gadgets and gizmos to play with when we were growing up. So you just grab the sheet of paper laying on the floor next to you yeah, and start reading that. So Yeah, there's no um, phone. So, no, no, we didn't have that kind of stuff. So that, that's how you entertain yourself. Dad had drawings in the back seat, so I'd, I'd read them. Um, but the uh, from there, you know... It, just understanding by that point, uh, when I, when I changed to become a construction management major, I had already transferred, uh, from Mount Union. I, I was no longer playing ball. I transferred home here to Northern Kentucky and went to Northern Kentucky university where I finished my degree. And while I was there, I, I discovered that they had a construction management program that was actually, it's actually a very good program. They're, they're one of the top 10 construction management programs in the country. And, um, uh, some really good folks over there that work in that department and uh, have a lot of connections around the country to, to place people. So I got in there, really enjoyed the classes, was performing well. Uh, my advisor while I was there, uh, Daryl Orth, he came from a me- mechanical background, an MEP background, and he pushed me into mechanic in the mechanical world. Um uh, his selling point was, you know, you'll advance quicker than the folks who are just going to work for GCs and CMs. And you're kind of guaranteed work because in, a da- in an economic downturn, when uh, which was kind of foreshadowing, uh, I'll get to that in a second. But then an economic downturn, we'll do without a lot of things, but we won't do without our air conditioning. Right. We won't do nice. without our plumbing. Yeah. You know, so you, you'll always have a job basically doing something. If you, if you're working in that area. So, uh, while I was there, we had a student chapter for MCA, which is the mechanical contractor association. And I ran that chapter. And then as a result of that, I ended up getting an internship with a local, uh, contractor here in town, uh, to work for them, stayed on with them after graduation, worked there for about eight years as a project manager, ran running projects. I predominantly did work in the healthcare uh, market sector for them, uh, but I also did some higher ed and in, in uh, c- other uh, large commercial projects as well. But most of what I did was in healthcare, uh, and I was anywhere from building brand new hospitals to MOBs and renovations uh, inside existing hospitals of different departments. You know, uh, so got a Got a taste for it when I was there. Uh, I left there to go work for Dynamic Systems. Uh, Dynamic Systems is a lar- very large MEP contractor, one of the, one of the largest in the country, and uh, was going to. They were opening an office in Georgia, and I left to go to work there because I was. They're predominantly known for pharma and semiconductor work here in the States, which semiconductor work, I believe, is dried up at this point. It's all overseas now, but uh, they're still heavily involved in pharma. But they they wanted to get into healthcare. That was kind of the sell point was they wanted to get into healthcare. And so I was going to come and help kind of foster that for them because I had a background in it and understood it from a mechanical perspective. Uh, and then my wife's from Atlanta. So there was a natural draw for us to move there. Uh, so we could be close to her folks and things like that. So we, we did that, made the move. Um, and then 
things changed as far as a strategy for the company in that office, and it didn't align with my visions for what I wanted to do. And so I started, I, as luck would have it, our, excuse me, our house hadn't sold here in, in back in Cincinnati. And so I, I moved them home and just did the commute from back and forth until I found something. And I, I tried to come back and work in construction. I, I never really thought that this is what I would do. I, I just was trying to find somebody in the construction side that would hire. And unfortunately, at that time, it was that early, that early 2016 timeframe before the the construction industry kind of boomed back, you know? And so nobody was really hiring because nobody had anything. And so uh, after kind of beating my head against the wall for a few months, I, uh, I reached out to my old advisor at NKU and said, hey, you know, kind of told him my situation and said, if, if you know of anything, let me know. And he said, I do actually have something. He said, give me two days. He said, and I'll be, I'll get back with you. And so sure enough, two days later, he called me and said, Hey, um, so he said an old student of mine that's, that works at St. Elizabeth in facility management. He said he, he's been promoted up and they're looking to backfill his position. Here's his number, give him a call. And so I reached out to him, uh, and, uh, we talked for a little bit, told me to apply, applied. And about a month and a half later, I was starting at St. Elizabeth. Wow. And that was how I got into the healthcare world. As I said, at the start, I never in a million years thought I would get into this where, what I'm doing now. I always thought that I'd work in construction in some form or fashion. Um, always thought that I would just ascend up and, you know, help run a company one day or something like that. Um, you pleased with the detour? The, uh, I am because uh, what I found when I got over here was I actually felt like I was making like my my career had a positive influence and had was rewarding and, f- and fulfilling because I felt like I was actually doing something good that was wor- a worthy cause. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it was like the this awful thing that I did when I was in construction, but when you're in contracting specifically, it, it's a money gambit. You're 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 doing it to make money. You're doing it to make somebody else money. It's a business. It's just very business minded. It's not right. Make doesn't make right. it bad. It just makes it what it is. Right. In healthcare, Different. it's mission minded. It's it's mission minded. You're you're performing a mission, and so it's um, it's just different. I don't have stresses about that. I make a profit today that I make a profit on anything, right? Like I, I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is did I, did I successfully perform my mission? Did I, did I keep things running the way they needed to so that the hospital can effectively do its job? Can the, you know, the, the clinical side of the hospital, the, when I say that, that they can, they do effectively do their job today. And that that's what I mean by that. You know, of, sure. of course sure. we have to worry about numbers and of course we have to worry about accounting and, and making sure we don't bust budgets and things like that. But that's not our primary focus. Our primary focus is the, the mission of healthcare. Right. And right. facilities plays a big part of that mission. So um, last question. And I thank Jonathan Hunley, John Hunley for, for joining me today. And, 
um, we kind of went down a, a different path than expected, but that's good. Um, you just, interesting answers. You know, you, you are, you know, as system director of facilities infrastructure, you are knee deep in the MEPs and you're knee deep in the electrical. Um, but you've also conveyed, you know, through all your answers, um, a great understanding of, of communication and creating relationships, kind of the, that whole soft skill side. We always talk about the hard skills, the technical, and then the soft skills, the leadership. In your role, and I, I always like to hear the answers different people give for this, what is your, you know, the mix that you employ of your skills, you know, your technical versus soft, how do you break down what you use daily and does one outweigh the other in terms of success in your role? Oh, I think the soft skills are those tangibles that are invaluable. Um, I could be the smartest guy in the room that knows everything about everything and can do all the technical that you could think of. But if I Mm -hmm. can't do the soft skill side of it and help people understand what I know and develop those relationships and do it in a, in a, tactical way it won't matter i because i've i've seen i've seen it i've seen some of the the smartest engineers i know get into a room full of c-suite level people and fall flat on their face because they don't know how to take what's inside their head and deliver it in a message that is understandable and can be digested by those by those folks you you have to the the biggest thing you can do you have to do is know your audience know who you're talking to and know what my delivery style needs to be for that audience because from meeting to meeting that will change depending on who you're talking with your your message delivery style cannot be the same for any one person because everybody's different. Everybody, everybody takes information in a different way. And that's the biggest thing you can do is understand your audience and understand how to deliver your message, depending on who your audience is. Because many times it won't necessarily matter what your message is. It will, it, what matters is how you deliver it. Yep. Yep. That's what Great people advi- remember. Great advice. John, thank you for uh, thank you for joining me today. We'll have to have you back at another time to go a little more technical. I know we were going to talk about that, but um, yeah. fascinating stuff. You know, I I appreciate your time. That was uh, Jonathan Hunley, System Director of Facilities Infrastructure for Bond Secours Mercy Health. I'm Peter Martin, President of Goslin Martin Associates. This is the High Reliability Podcast. John, thanks for your time today. Have a great holiday season, and uh, we'll be back in touch. Thanks, Take Peter. Care, you have a great Christmas as well. Thanks, John. Take care.